0: Abolition, Abolition. today,
1: come down from that mountain, Harry, come down to the valley at night, come down to your weeping people and be their guiding light, sing deep river, don't you want to cross over today, sing deep river, don't you want to walk on freedom's way, I stole down in the nighttime. I come back in the day, I stole back to Maryland to guide the slaves away. You better run, brave Harriet. There's ransom on your head. You better run, Miss Harriet. They want you live or dead. I've been down in the valleys yonder and searching round the stills. They got a posse after you, a riding through the hills. They got bloodhounds smelling. They got their guns cocked too. You better run, bold Harriet. The white man's after you. They got $10,000. Put on your cold black head. They'll give $10,000. They're mad because you fled. I'm Harriet Tubman, people. I'm Harriet the Slave. I'm Harriet, free woman. And I'm free beyond my grave.
2: I've been walking with my face turned to the Weight on my shoulders A bullet in my gun Oh, I got eyes in the back of my head Just in case I had can for my people. While the clouds roll back and the stars fill the night. That's
0: heard Harriet Tubman, read by Maya Angelou, followed by Stand Up from the film Harriet, performed by Cynthia Erivo. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. My name is Max Parthas. I'm joined by my co-host, Yusuf Hassan. Peace, Yusuf Peace, Yusuf, You might be on mute there, brother.
3: Peace, Max. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Peace be upon you and upon our entire listening audience. Word.
0: You know, last week we heralded the coming of the abolish the abolished slavery national network, and we're joined by two of the lead organizers, Dennis Febo of Amended Thirteenth, New Jersey, and Kamal Waset one of the organizers for For Colorado's Amendment A, which ended constitutional slavery in that state. This week's episode represents the day after tomorrow, both literally and figuratively. Two days ago, Mm -hmm. August 28, 2020, we witnessed the official launch of the Abolish Slavery National Network, now found at AbolishSlavery.us, a national organization of the like, which has not been seen since 1865 in the disbandment of the American anti-slavery society. This, my friends, is a new day in American history. Joining us live this evening will be two of the national leaders and core architects behind the formation and expansion of this organization. In moments, we'll be welcoming Representative Sandra Hollins, who is a Utah State Representative for the 23rd District and member of the Abolish Slavery National Network. And also Eve Hurwitz, a combat veteran, director of finance for March On, president of March On Foundation, interfaith minister, and former Maryland State Senate District 33 candidate. The ASNN and March On are fiscally sponsored by March On Foundation, a 501c3 organization. Before we do that, though, let's, as we always do, check in with Yusuf, see how his week has been, and then... Talk a little bit about the intro track And remember a few very important dates. Yusuf, how you been this week, brother?
3: Hey, it was a great week You know, the anticipation uh, Leading up until Friday I was just excited To see everything roll out You know, so I was just happy It was just a great week All week Because I knew it was going to culminate With our launch this past Friday
0: Amen, brother I was balancing Uh joy and exhaustion you know what i'm saying after working so long to see this finally come into effect but let's uh make a uh let's remember a few important dates that also happened on august 28th over the years for instance uh i, I don't think any of us in the organization knew this but the passing of the slavery abolition act on august 28 1833 happened an act of parliament that abolished slavery in most British colonies, freeing more than 800,000 enslaved Africans in the Caribbean and South Africa, as well as a small number in Canada. It received royal assent on August 28, 1833, and took effect on August 1, 1834.
3: Yeah, and we recall the lynching of Emmett Till also occurred on August 28 in 1955. On that date, while visiting family in Money, Mississippi, 14-year-old Emmett Till, an African-American from Chicago, is brutally murdered for allegedly flirting with a white woman four days earlier. 62 years later, Carol Bryant, now Caroline Bryant Donham, admitted in a variety Vanity Fair interview that her testimony was a lie. Wow.
0: And, of course, you can't forget that. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. His famous speech was delivered during the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom on August 28th, 1963, in which he called for civil and economic rights and an end to systemic racism in the United States.
3: And also on that date, Hurricane Katrina made its tragic landfall Back in 2005, Hurricane Katrina was one of the deadliest hurricanes ever to hit the United States. An estimated 1,833 people died in the hurricane and the flooding that followed in late August 2005. And millions of others were left homeless along the Gulf Coast
0: and in New Orleans, Max. Mm. All of those significant dates, man. Well, now that we have remembered those dates... Let's not lose any more time and go ahead and welcome in our guests, Representative U- from Utah, Sandra Hollins, and March On Foundation President, Eve Hurwitz. Welcome, sisters, to Abolition Today. Thank
4: you. Thank you. I'm glad
0: Thank to you. be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Indeed. Welcome. We are proud welcome. to have you on tonight. Uh, Yusuf, is that you breathing, brother? Well?
5: <laughs> no,
0: <that's not. laughs> Uh-oh, we're getting kinky already here, over here. Okay. Well, I am definitely proud to know both of you And uh, to have you here today on the program On this wonderful occasion where we're walking into a new world, so to speak A new America is is really, really wonderful uh, Let's start out with uh, Sister... Uh, well, how would you like to be addressed, Representative Sandra Hollins? You know, we're just informal, so let's just
4: just call me Sandra. That's fine. All right,
0: all right, Sandra. <laughs> okay, I, I, we, we will do that. Yeah, like, we go back a little bit, right? <laughs> all right. Well, yes, you know, yes.
4: We're just having conversation.
0: <laughs> that's the way we like to roll here on this program. It's just having a conversation. <laughs> I, I want to start out with a question that's real simple. Uh, Sandra, how did you become aware of the 13th Amendment and the state constitution's exception clause in Utah?
4: Yes, so I became aware of the 13th Amendment by watching Ava Ava DuVernay's wonderful documentary, 13th. Um, I had watched the documentary, and so I became aware of of, of that clause in the U.S. Constitution. But I became aware of the state constitution, actually, um, with a reporter reaching out to me. I had been watching um, Colorado's, um, what they were doing, um, you know, the first time and then the second time, and actually, you know, celebrated with them that it had passed. And then uh, one night, one of the reporters, Brittany from Channel 4 News, uh, one of the only African-American women news reporters here in Utah, and she called me. Um, late one night and said, Rep, are you aware that this is still in our Constitution? And I was like, no, it's not. And she said, yes, it's in our state Constitution. She said, I'm sending all the information over to you now. And I read through the information, and she said, call me after you finish reading. And after I read through everything, I called her back, and she said, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to take it out. (laughs) What else Mm. is there
5: to do but to
4: remove? Mm. There, There is no other option. And so that's how I became aware of it in Utah
0: Utah Constitution. Uh, I'm very glad that uh, Ava DuVernay made that film. I'd like to think that the work we've been doing over the years helped to inspire its creation. But however it got here, it reached you, and uh, because of that and others, uh, we have today established the Abolish Slavery National Network. Word. Uh, Yeah. I'd like to ask the same question. To Eve, uh, Eve Hurwitz uh, How did you become aware Of the 13th Amendment um, Originally
6: Well, we, same thing Actually with the film uh, It was through work with uh, Marchand Foundation and Marchant Maryland And um, organizations specifically In Maryland, in Anne Arundel County Connecting the Dots, showing up for racial justice um, the Enronville County Caucus of African-American Leaders, there's a coalition that is very active um, in educating the community about racial justice issues. And they had an event where they showed 13, and I... I, had, I did not know, and I considered myself A, a racial justice advocate And an activist, and to, to realize How much I still did not know Was so eye-opening, and I We really wanted more people to do it, so We did more and more screenings of it, and Trying to get the word out, so same thing
0: Man, Ava is just chopping oh, up victories awesome. left and right Isn't she, Yusuf?
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: absolutely, absolutely That's my girl,
2: eh?
0: <laughs> Alright, Yusuf, I'll pass it over to you Okay. So if you, I'll
3: address uh, Eve first this time. If you'd just like Mm -hmm. to tell us a little bit about yourself.
6: Sure. So um, I am a combat veteran. I was a naval flight officer uh, in the Navy. I was active duty for eight years, and um, I'm still in the reserves. And I, I have a I've always wanted to serve. I've always been trying to figure out ways to serve. I felt compelled to serve. I have a Jewish background. I'm a cantorial assistant, but an interfaith minister. And in Judaism, we have something called tikkun olam, uh, which means repair the world. And it's something that we feel we are all born with. And it's part of us that we are here to make this world a better place, to lift up humanity and help take care of the earth um, and make this world a better place than it was when we were born into it. So when we leave, we have done something. We have left a legacy. We have made a positive change. And initially, that was the military for me because um, September 11th was quite a day for a lot of us. I was working in New York City. And I lost about 20% of my clients that day, and my sister, one of my sisters, was supposed to be on Flight 93 that went down in Pennsylvania. Um, So I felt very compelled to do something when it happened, and I signed up for the military um, within a few weeks after that. And when I got out of the military, I still felt like there was work to be done, and I got involved in activism, peripherally in politics, um, and then... I uh, ended up working on different campaigns and different organizations. I um, want to give a shout-out to Progressive Maryland, which was where um, I got earned a lot of my organizing chops as well. And um, then when, you know, the time came, I really felt that it was time to run for office. When I got out of the military, I found out, that there were multiple aviators that I had um, served with that went to, went on to run for office, sometimes state, sometimes federal, and one, and a lot of it was because of their military background. And I thought, you know what, now's the time, why not? Um, so I ran for office in, uh, in 2018 and, um, Racial justice was a big part of my platform uh, in a Republican district. It had been held for a long time. And I'm speaking as an individual now, by the way. This is just me as an individual. Um, (laughs) This is before my uh, (laughs) – so I – and, and, you know, we almost won. We got 47% of the vote, even in a Republican wow. district, because our, mes- our, our message resonated. And our message was just normalize love, normalize support, normalize acceptance, normalize humanity. You know, we need to be there for our fellow people. And everybody operates from a place of self-interest. And we cannot assume we know anybody else's story. And we have to remember that dehumanization is what got us to so many bad places where we have gotten ourselves to. And it's time to humanize each other and ourselves and normalize that love and support. So that's where I'm at. Thank you for that.
3: Yeah, thank you for that. There was actually an article that it, that even stated, you know, that you won, although you lost, and I can see why, you know that that <laughs> article was written. So thank you. Sandra, I'm gonna ask you the same question twist, you know, because mm-hmm. uh not only tell us a little bit about yourself, but tell us a little bit about Utah because, myself included, many people don't know much about Utah other than the Utah Jazz, the Mormons, and polygamy. <laughs> That's the extent yeah. of people's knowledge of Utah. So, if you can include a little bit about Utah and also explain it a little bit about yourself.
4: Sure sure so i am originally i'm not from utah i was born and raised in um new orleans louisiana actually no um i was born yes i was born and raised <laughs> there and in fact um my childhood home was one of the homes that was destroyed by hurricane katrina because it was near where one of the levee's breached and so wow. i grew up there grew up in this wonderful you know but Hard neighborhood, you know, um, the Lord Night War. Um, but I was surrounded by all of these wonderful people, and I went through, you know, was taught a lot about um, loving yourself from all of these wonderful teachers that I had the pleasure of being educated under. Um, Grew up with a mom who had a daycare center in the home to help uh, mostly single women in our community who were working and a father that worked in a grocery store. So grew up in a very loving, very, very loving family. Um, Went to college in Mississippi where I met my husband. And at the time, he was doing an internship here in Salt Lake City, Utah, And so we were dating, I was a sophomore, he was a senior, and when he graduated, they offered him a full-time position here, and he was saying, let's get married and move to Salt Lake City, Utah. And I said, okay, didn't know anything about Utah. Uh, My father said, told me I was foolish for going to a state I knew nothing about, but you know, (laughs) love (laughs) prevailed. So we moved to Utah, and Utah has not been that bad of a state to live in. Um, we have we have enjoyed living here. We've raised both of my daughters here who are grown now, but we sent them away to HBCU to be educated because they never were under the tutelage of black instructors or black teachers. And so we wanted them to have that experience. So we sent them back to Texas to and UAM to be educated, and they came back afterwards. Um, so Utah is not a, a bad state. We do not have a black community here like in uh, Some of the other states, because our population um, is only 1.1% of blacks, Um, so we don't have that black community here. But we do have different organizations and churches that are black here, and so that's where we find our connection in the in the black community here. Um, And so uh, most of the blacks who move out here are professionals. They come out here for a career. Nobody has ever said, I'm just moving to Utah just because. So most of the Blacks who move out here move because of their careers or because um, of sports. Uh, they come out and maybe play for one of the major universities or or um, for one of the major, you know, for the basketball or one of those teams. Right. So, so, yeah, so it, it's a great state economic-wise. Um, it, it's, it has managed to stay afloat during um, during a lot of the economic hardships that we've had and you know work is is good here. If you wanna if you're not working in the state of Utah it's because you don't want to work well this is before COVID here. Um, it's because you choose not to work because they are looking for employees here. So it's been very mm-hmm. good. Um, I was first elected to office in two thousand and fifteen. Um, I um, had the woman, Jennifer um Selick, who was in this position um, who had been a friend of mine. She called me one day, and she said, we need to go to lunch. And I agreed to meet up for lunch, and she said, I'm going to be retiring one day. And she said, I've been looking in the community trying to think, who can I start mentoring and who needs, and who I would like to leave this um, office to, you know, this position to, and I think you're the person. She said, I've watched how you advocate in the community. I watch how you, people react to you in the community, and I think you'll be good in this, this position. My answer to her was, there's no way I'm getting into politics. There's no way I'm getting into politics. Um, And when she she did make an argument, she said, well, you understand that there's never been an African-American woman in this position before. Mm
5: -hmm. So you
4: will be shattering a glass ceiling. And so at the time, I declined. I declined because both of my daughters were teenage girls, and I told her, you know what? And I was working on my master's degree, and I said, I need to focus on my daughters. I need to focus on transitioning them into women, and that needs to be my primary focus right now. So when she decided to step down, she called me again and said, your daughters are in college. You finished your master's. What's your excuse now? I had no excuse. (laughs) Um, And so so I said, let's do it. I said, let's do it. And so I ran for office. I won overwhelmingly. I think 83%. My district, I had. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes. Yes, yes, um, yes. Yeah. I, I won. I, I won. Um, it's been a great experience. Most of my... Um, most of my legislation has been around the school of prison pipeline. You know, I ran a piece of legislation to make Juneteenth a holiday here, you know, and I ran legislation around how do we get people who are formerly incarcerated back into the workforce. And most recently, I ran a piece of legislation making the chokehold illegal, putting a knee and neck illegal in this state. And so that's been most of my advocacy work. I love what I do. i um, looking forward to Doing it again, I'm in campaign season now So, love what and I do
0: <laughs> That's just one of the Accomplishments, uh, we were just reading earlier Where you also uh, Led the way in A uh, bill that Stopped, uh, what is it called there uh, Where they check your Banned record If you've been in cars, ban the box Banned Yes, the box. That you were behind Banned the ban the band box As well, so yeah another achievement Absolutely there. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, absolutely, and that,
4: I was behind Ban the box, I, um by trade, I'm a social worker. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and so majority of my clients and my primary focus have been those in poverty and those who are experiencing homelessness. And so when you have a conversation with those individuals, you find that they're having problems finding employment because of their background. So uh, one of my constituents came to me and said, you have to do something about this, and I said, absolutely, let's do it. <laughs>
0: well, I want to ask a, a kind of a soft question, and then I got some data i want to share with you i don't know if you're aware of it so i'm just going to share with you and let you know and you can let me know if you are aware but the, the easy question uh eve asked me earlier she's like what do you guys think about music and i'm like man you can't have a mute movement without music here at abilene mm-hmm. today we pride ourselves Amen. on the music so we yep. started it yeah. off tonight with uh maya angelo doing harriet tubman and then of course the song Stand Up from Harriet. What did you guys think of that introduction of music? Well, let's start with you. I loved it. Since you asked. Oh, <laughs> go ahead, Sandra, since you started, why not? Oh,
4: I was just going to say, I, I love it. I love music. You know, music is a universal language, so I love
0: music. <laughs> All right, indeed. Um, e?
4: I
6: sing at a lot of the events that we do. That was what I went to school for, actually. Um, I went to school for music, which is why I'm in finance now. But
7: (laughs) I do, and still sing
6: whenever I can. I have a very strange history with music because um, in the Navy, I don't want to get too far off track, but this is just a fun fact. In the Navy, um, I was on the Enterprise twice, USS Enterprise, and we had an idol contest on the Enterprise, and I won and it was very exciting. <laughs> um and uh and I one day I actually got stopped on the street in Norfolk, Virginia and somebody recognized me from the Enterprise and they said, Were you the biggie idol? And I said, Yes, thank you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it was oh. But um mm-hmm. so music is uh, when I say I sing at events, I mean, you know, at our rallies, at our marches because I fully agree that the music is the heartbeat of the people, you know, and when we tap into the music and we sing together and we bring it together, those words mean even more. And listening to stand up makes me want to learn it, you know, and 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 sing it somewhere. <laughs> and and that it's just so. Thank you for that.
0: Indeed, our goal is to inspire here with the music and to set the tone. And I think we did that with stand up and Maya Angelou's reading of Harriet mm-hmm. Tubman. So let me move on mm-hmm. to some numbers here. You know, I was doing my research and just seeing what you're dealing with out there, Sandra, in Utah. Mm -hmm. And we had done Mm -hmm. a series called America is Ferguson, where we uh, reviewed all of the different data regarding the prison industry in each state, Mm -hmm. uh, how much they spend per prisoner, uh, poverty levels and things like that. Here's some of the things we found Mm -hmm. out about Utah. Uh, Of course, you said just barely over 1% of your population is black. But through the prison Mm -hmm. policy Initiative they've shown That blacks are incarcerated at 7 to 1 versus their 90% white population So we're talking about a 3.1 Million white population Versus a 50,000 black Population who are being incarcerated Mm -hmm. At 7 to 1 We also Mm -hmm. found out uh, That well this is the most recent data We could get from 2015 That it was about $30,000 a year To incarcerate one adult In uh, Mm -hmm. Utah And then finally the poverty rates Were pretty crazy too Especially on a racial Mm -hmm. level There's roughly 300,000 people In poverty uh, in Utah Mm -hmm. But 92% Mm -hmm. of those Who are in poverty are minorities Uh, Whites only make Mm -hmm. up 8% of the total population Of those in poverty Uh, Your Mm -hmm. responses sound like You know that already Right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm
4: I, I do. I do. Um I am aware of that. In fact, um the district that I live in um is is a highly minority um is one of the most minor, um diverse districts in the state. And so and the majority of the individuals that live in my state are um middle to lower income individuals and those individuals who are in poverty. So I am aware of those statistics. Um, you know, and it's one of the reasons why I push education so much um, in my district and people getting an education because I feel that that is one of the ways to be able to get out of poverty um, because right now, you know, there's a pushback to raise the minimum wage, um, um, and so I've been thinking, okay, so if they're not willing to wait, wait the minimum wage, then what else do we, what else can we do? And that other thing is let's make sure everyone is getting a quality education um, to be able to apply for those jobs where they are being able to make a, a, a livable wage. Um, and I'm definitely not surprised about the prison. I've been looking at the, at the numbers also, um, and it's part of the reasons why I fight so much on the, um, the school of prison pipeline. Um, because the studies have shown that if kids um, come in – well, let me back up. The bill I ran requires that all of our student resource officers have cultural competent training if they're going to be working with our students. Of course, there is a push, and I agree, we would love to get student resource officers out of our schools, period. Um, but since they are in there, let's make sure that they're well-trained and that there's an MOU between the police and the school about what their job actually is and that teachers cannot call um, a, a student resource officer into that classroom because the kid won't turn off their, their cell phone. That's not a student resource officer's job. That's a parent and administrative job to, to deal with that and to handle that. Um, but, you know, the studies have shown if kids are in contact with SROs Um, at any time, that they're more likely to be funneled into that school-to-prison pipeline. And so that's one of the reasons why I I push education and I push the school-to-prison, dismantling that school-to-prison pipeline. But, of course, there's also a lot of things need to be done. We have to continue with the police reform in this state. We have to push court reform in this state. And we have to push overall systematic racism in this state, which I have been – on that front line, since I have been in office since 2015, pushing against
0: and fighting against. I'm glad you're there doing that because the numbers that we were just pointing out, uh, they strongly imply systemic racism. When you're talking about 92% That's of those cool. in poverty are minorities, and 7 to 1 mm-hmm. when you only 50,000 people, that strongly suggests mm-hmm. that there's systemic racism in that system right mm-hmm. there. So we are glad that we have a champion in Utah to handle that. Indeed. Uh, I'm going to switch over to Eve, ask a question of you, Eve, and then I'll pass the mic to my co-host, Yusuf. Eve, I I love your energy. Since the first time we met during the planning sessions for the ASNN, uh, we have, as a matter of fact, the first thing you said to me was, the first thing you said to me is, Max, I'm going to put you in my book. I want you, Maximus Parthas, I want you in the book. (laughs) (laughs) So I love your energy, and I love the way you express That energy through your activism You have been behind Some of the most powerful movements To come along in quite some time Uh, Like the Women's March uh, You were behind that Also the March for Our Lives Movement, you were behind Mm -hmm. that Um, Tell us a little bit About what drives you in those instances And how you plan To apply that here With the Abolish Slavery National Network Well, the March For Racial Justice was To me,
6: right up there with the the two you you mentioned, I think that um, to me, yes, I'm very heavily involved in the women's movement, but I I don't think that's independent of anything else. I think in order to be a, quote, feminist, and that word is so charged right now, um, but in order Mm -hmm. to be a good feminist, you have to care about equal rights for all people. You know that masculine and feminine; those words really don't mean much. They are social constructs. We have decided what is supposedly feminine and masculine. But if we're going to go that route, then we have to we have to remember that the supposed feminine um, virtues of nurturing and empathy; those are just human virtues that we all need to have and uphold. And I, I think that what has happened in in my life is that I have seen over and over again the worst side of humanity. You know, I mean. Combat, I, my combat was a little different than, um, than what a lot of people think of when they think of a combat veteran. As an aviator, all the combat happened in my ears. We controlled a lot of aircraft. We, can, we helped with radios. And, you know, the things that I saw, because we always saw the recordings when we got back and we saw what was happening on the ground, made me realize that there's way too many people in this world that see things as black and white, that see things in this absolute that does not exist. And I believe that my job is to call out those people, specifically white people, who have benefited from a system of. Systemic and structural racism Who have benefited from it Even when they don't realize They've benefited from it Help them see Mm -hmm. how they have And help them see How they can make it So that everyone Can benefit from a system And that's how we pull The structural racism Out from underneath it We have to do that We have to kind of rebuild The only way we do that Is if we get more people behind it Specifically white people in power Have to speak to our history To what we really have done And that's I just feel very passionate about I think we cannot be good humans To one another While still living in a society Where so many people
0: are cheated unfairly. Thank you. Uh, and what about the Abolish Slavery National Network? I know that now, you and I were talking just a little while ago prior to the show, and you was like, oh, man, this is everything wrapped up in one for me, my ministry, my music, my activism, and, and you're right, I, we all feel the same way. Like It's almost like a mm-hmm. call from on high to, to do these things. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I know that uh, you are passionate about this. So what are your plans? How do you plan to use your foundation and the foundation you work with in order to advance this to the point where we educate people on the existence of slavery at the very least?
6: Well, one of the things that we do with March On and March On Foundation, there's a partnership with our fiscal projects, and in in or, what we're doing is using the network that – we have grown that exists now across the country internationally. We're taking the network that we've been working on for years and years and years and using it to amplify the voices. Our stated mission of March on Foundation is to support First Amendment rights, to increase civic engagement, and to amplify the voices of marginalized and underrepresented communities. And it is past time for that, for the marginalization and the oppression to be pulled out. And what we're going to do is what we've always done, which is, hyper-local. Everything is hyper-local, right? Every every movement that has ever happened started with one or three or five people in a small town or city somewhere. And what we do is amplify those hyper-local movements and give them the structure that they might not have. So we have um, an amazing team. We have operations. We have digital services. We have fiscal services. We have streaming platforms. And we can take the, the infrastructure that we've built and use it to help amplify all of these hyper-local. So There's all of these different parts of um, Abolish Slavery National Network that we haven't even really seen yet that are happening. There's people hopefully who are listening now going, oh, finally, somebody that we can kind of go with. We've been doing this on our own for the last 5, 10, 20 years. Now finally we can make this a national loud movement the way it needs to be, and that's what I see happening on a a macro scale.
3: Thank you. I love Eve's energy. I really love Eve's energy. I love
2: you too, man. Love you too. Uh,
3: thank, you, thank you. So, I'd like to switch it over to uh Sandra. I have a question for you as it relates mm-hmm. to the Abolished Slavery National Network. Just how did you get mm-hmm. involved with that and what role do you see ASNN in, in helping you out in Utah advancing your uh drive to remove the exception clause from the Utah Constitution?
4: Absolutely. I um first became aware of them um, through Colorado, through Kamal. Um, and um, when I first decided to run this bill, I reached out to Colorado because I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. Um, they had already had a plan. They had already successfully um, passed this, um, their resolution. And so I reached out to them and was able to connect with all of these amazing people who were able to talk me through and give me a plan on this is how you, this is how we did it, and this is what you need to do. And so that's how I became connected with them. And so when they started talking national and moving us out um, out of the 13th Amendment, they reached out to me and was like, hey, do you want to be a part of this conversation? I was like, Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to be a, a part of this conversation because just removing it out of Utah's constitution um, is good, but we need to nationally get it out of our our constitution. And so um, they mm-hmm. have been great in and, and, and playing a role um, with Utah um, and helping us organize. You know, we were able to organize Utah Coalition to Abolish Slavery. And we bought. We have brought all of these great organizations to the table to start talking about how do we move this forward and assure that this is going to pass this November. You know, and we've, we've been in conversation with the, um locally with members of the Divine Nine, um, who've been awesome in working together to say let's let's do this. But Colorado gave us the blueprint of, and you know, of this is how you go about doing it. This is what needs to be done. There's no need to reinvent the wheel. We have everything here. Just follow this blueprint, which which has been awesome.
3: Uh, thank you for that. So, can you speak to any opposition that you've met on the subject out there?
4: Absolutely, I have. Um, I've received a couple of emails from individuals who who don't like it, um, who have told, who have accused me of trying to take down a monument, um, mm. who have said that the prison is slavery no matter what you say. So I I received a couple of those emails. But fortunately, the emails that I received in support have been overwhelming, and and people are really surprised, like I was, to learn that it's still in Utah Constitution. Um, It passed both the House and the Senate unanimous. Um, I did not have an opposition in the House, but – in the Senate, I did have um, the, I did have to fight a little bit more to get it to get it out of the Senate um, for a vote and onto the floor for a, a, a vote. So there was some some opposition. Most of the people um, really concerned that they think this is going to undo the entire criminal justice system if <laughs> this bill passed. And then when I started explaining mm-hmm. to them the history of why this was placed in Utah's constitution. Because this was placed in Utah Constitution thirty two years after the Emancipation Proclamation, so mm-hmm. it should have been placed in our Constitution. And so when I started educating and 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 about the history of this, more people you know slowly got on board and then you know with it and, and, and started supporting it.
0: That's incredible! Wow, that's uh, amazing. Yeah. I, re- I remember the news report that came out uh, about you back in January, and it, the headline said, "Utah's sole black legislator wants to erase slavery from the state constitution." <laughs> but you know,
5: <laughs> I That's have missed right, yeah. the
0: headlines like that, and it's, it, 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 it I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know how I feel about the headlines. It's true. You are the sole black legislator in the entire freaking state of Utah, and you do want to erase (laughs) slavery from the state constitution. And that uh, exception is in 24 states in this country. It was 25 until uh, Mm -hmm. Colorado changed theirs. Maryland has Mm -hmm. the same thing, uh, another exception clause. Mm -hmm. And a few years ago, Mm -hmm. there were people involved in trying to remove that from the Maryland state constitution. Were you aware of that even?
6: peripherally, I don't know as much about it as I should. When was that? How long ago?
0: Um, I'll get the article before we're finished tonight, but it was about three years ago that it occurred.
6: Oh, yes. Okay, I'm going to get some info. Come back to me on that.
0: <laughs> I, I will. I'll, I'll pull it up. In the meantime, I'm gonna pass can, the mic back to brother. Oh, oh, go ahead. He sounds like you want to say something.
4: Can, can I add? Can I add something to oh, that? Sir, yes. One sir, of sir. the sure, when, when I presented the resolution on the House floor, um, HJR eight, one of the best things was that freedom writer, Joan Trumpeter Mahalan was in the state visiting her son, and decided to come and sit on the mm. House floor with me that day. And she stood mm. by me as I presented this bill, this resolution. And I thought that was just so awesome. And, and just, it it, it it was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience.
5: It
0: must feel like you're certainly a part of a change in history after so long to finally bring this to the forefront of conversation in your state and nationally. Uh, as you pointed yep. out clearly Utah did not incorporate an exception clause until decades after the Civil War, and they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Many other states did the same thing, and the reason that mm-hmm. they did that was in order to exploit prison labor. Convict leasing was the thing yeah. all across the country at that point, so that was the way Absolutely. that they could replace slavery. But we're in 2020, and those things should not exist at all. <clears throat> they shouldn't. You should? They should not exist
3: at all. Absolutely.
4: Amen. 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 So,
3: In doing a little research, you know, I I, I found some things that were like really unique when it came to Utah, you know, going back to the numbers that Max had mentioned earlier. And Mm -hmm. for one, Utah only has three state prisons. I found that to be, Mm -hmm. you know, very surprising. And it mentioned that you have a a little bit less than 7,000 state inmates and there's, mm-hmm. there's a prison that's be, that's being that's projected to open next year at a cost of yeah. at about $800 million. And I came across an article where the title is for a dollar an hour, Utah inmates construct pieces that will furnish the new state prison. And the opening line says inmates at the Utah state prison are helping to craft their new home by building thousands of pieces of furniture. And mm-hmm. so, when we talk about slavery, here's a classic example of slavery. So rather than the State Department of Co- uh, Corrections having to hire, you know, some. Fr-
0: I think we might have lost you, if Your phone is going. I mean, your mic is going in and out, <laughs> and we lost you all together. It sounds like.
3: Oh my goodness.
0: See, this, oh, is you you deal deal yeah. this is what's happening when you deal with
3: yeah, this is what's happening when you deal with the brand new microphone. Everyone has to excuse me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know where you guys you're lost dead.
3: me. Did you catch anything I was saying-
0: almost everything except you... for the last, yeah. yeah, yeah,
3: okay, so I was going into the point where did you hear me talking about the dollar an hour process yeah, yeah, for making the furniture, and so rather than the department of con uh department of corrections you know contracting out to some furniture company where they can hire people to actually make this furniture and fulfill this mm-hmm. contract that it was actually you know given to the inmates pay them a dollar an hour you know mm-hmm. so this is a classic example of how slavery still exists you know this 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 is you know textbook definition of what it is so, yeah. One, yeah. are you aware yeah. of that was going on? And then two, you know, has anything anyone spoken out about that?
4: I was not aware of the furniture um, that that was happening. Um, so that is new to me. But let me say this: um, the state prison is actually moving to my district. It's going to be in my district um, near, not too far from the airport. And so I fought against it and voted against it and spoke out against it because my question to them was, number one, is, is, number one why did we, we rebuild in a prison? Number one, why are you putting it in a district with this diversity where I have all of these black and brown kids in my district and you're putting a, a prison near them? You know, what is that symbolizing to them, I'm having this in my district? Um, and so I, I have been adamant about speaking out against prisons, about this prison, and the astronomical amount of money that they are spending on it. Um, so, no, but I was not surprised about that. But I know that there are groups here that have been um, – have organized – well, they've been organized for, some, uh, for quite a while – and they have actually spoken out against prison labor. Um and have um been made it quite clear that what is happening in the prison is, is not acceptable and it is slave um slave wages and they would like to see it changed.
0: Thank you. Well thank, thank you. you for uh, that. I yeah.
3: Pass it back to you, Max.
0: All right, I'm going to go back to Marilyn and Eve, where we was talking about it. I found the information. Apparently, this happened in 2014, and it, yeah, uh, it was yeah. yeah, it was put forth by Senator Brian E. Frosch, a Montgomery County Democrat yep. and chief sponsor of the rescinding, rescinding resolution. Uh, he said, "The Civil War cast a long shadow. In the first year of uh, the wrenching conflict, Maryland's lawmakers voted unanimously." For a constitutional amendment to bar the federal government from abolishing slavery. Now, more than 150 yep. years later, some legislators in Annapolis are looking to put the state on the right side of history. So it sounds like you've got a friend there that you can work with immediately <laughs> yeah, and, in that senator. Uh,
6: Brian, he's, Brian Frost is now the attorney general in Maryland, and oh. uh, he's still, you know, very, um, you know, racial justice. And he's, he's, a, there's a. a so many people doing so much good work in Maryland. It's no surprise that the foundation got its start there. So absolutely, I think that um, – because I was trying to find out what the follow-up was. I found the same information it was about. They were introducing it, but as far as I can tell, it didn't go anywhere, right? Did you right. find the same thing? I, 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 so I don't see any results. Maybe it's time to you know, revive that.
0: I think so. <laughs> uh, Colorado had to do it twice. So they started with Amendment T yeah. and then they did Amendment A. So maybe it's time for yep. a second try, especially now that we have the opportunity mm-hmm. and the uh, mm-hmm. momentum behind us yep. uh, to make these things only- happen.
6: Bipartisan support, especially in Maryland, we should be getting bipartisan support. You know, that's what it's all about. This is a human issue. Sandra, I wanted to say thank you for your work in social work. I feel like social work, much Uh. like teaching, is thankless and difficult, and it's so important and so necessary. So thank you for that.
4: Oh, thank you. You're (laughs)
0: welcome. Indeed, indeed. You you guys are champions, and we we got a couple champions and leaders of this movement right here today with us. And I know it feels comfortable to you both to a degree to be able to talk about this issue with people who already understand it. You don't have to explain it from scratch, and you can really talk about how do we expand it further. So let's do that. Let's let's talk about where we're going next. So I, I'll start with uh, Representative Sandra Hollins. Where are we going next, mm-hmm. not only on a state level, but what do we want to see as our finish line for this aspect?
4: Um, I think the finish line is when we see a change in our prison systems throughout the United States. Mm-hmm. When we no longer see the mass incarceration of our young black women and men, um, I think that's that's the finish line. I think. Right before that, we, you know, that's the absolute finish line, but also taking this out of the 13th Amendment, I think, um, is is part of that. And that's where I see us going um, with all of this.
0: Well, you definitely got a lot of support now from what I've been seeing nationally. And just the fact that this uh, organization exists is really a bell ringing for the entire country. Um, We've already seen some of the reactions just before we were able to launch the organization, like Senator Jeff Merkley out of Oregon, who is talking about proposing a bill in order to remove the 13th Amendment exception. He was saying – his tweet says precisely, the 13th Amendment outlawed slavery with one big caveat, except as a punishment for crime. For a century and a half, that's been used to re-enslave – and he didn't mince words – Re-enslave African citizens mm-hmm. disproportionately black men, so I'm introducing mm-hmm. a constitutional amendment to end this abomination. He was not playing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know uh, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's possible though, to submit a bill to be able to get it removed. To the best of my awareness, there's only two ways that it can be done that's either by a congressional convention or a, a, a article five convention. Of states. Mm -hmm. So it sounds Mm -hmm. like we've got an uphill battle ahead of us. Uh, Any commentary on that? Let's start with Eve and then we'll go to Sandra. Uh,
6: I think that it's going to be, it's like person to person, one at a time. We have to normalize. Speaking about this in such a way that it's a give, it's a foregone conclusion that of course we need to have slavery not legalized in writing in our state and federal constitutions. We have to also be unafraid to have these conversations wherever and whenever, knowing that there's going to be pushback. We have to make it so that rather than um, you know there's a hashtag out there that was a uh, make racists afraid again.
5: And, you know, there's something
6: to be said for that. I think that there's, you know, there's been a lot of emboldened, dangerous behavior, and I think that what we need to do is normalize making that not okay. And we do that by having more people speaking up, specifically white leaders speaking up when they see, you know, you see it, you speak it. And we can't be afraid anymore of discomfort. We have to embrace
0: that discomfort. It's past time. Thank you. And, uh, Sandra, would you like to add on to that uphill battle? Absolutely, yes.
4: Yep, absolutely, and I agree with everything that Eve has said. I agree with everything. We've got to have those difficult conversations. You know, I spoke at a rally last week, I think it was, and one of the things I said was, I am, I am comfortable with making you uncomfortable right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. I'm comfortable. Yeah. I, I, I am not about having those comfortable conversations with you, and I'm not going to change anything about me to make you comfortable and so it is all about
2: the mm-hmm. difficult
4: conversations that we need to be had but one of the things i can't say um when i ran my piece of legislation is that there was a number of educators in in the public education and at the college level who held conversation around the 13th amendment and around Utah's um, slavery in Utah's um, um, constitution as a result of my bill, which I think is awesome. So I think the more we get out there and the more we have these difficult conversations, I think we can do Mm -hmm. it. I think we can do it. But you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always full of hope that things are going to change and that we can make things happen. So I I think it can happen.
3: Yeah. I, I really I really appreciate that So uh, we're about Five minutes before our 8pm Music break so I'd like to give This uh, time for uh, Eve we'll give you a chance to make any Closing comments that you would like to make
0: Well first of all thank you. Let's say thank you Eve to uh, You being <laughs> here tonight I know it seemed like The time flew like that right we barely Got started <laughs> really- Oh, Thank yeah. you so much It's yeah,
5: amazing I, I, I really back?
6: Oh, 100%. Thank you so much. And yes. Sandra, it was a pleasure to do this with you. I would love to talk to you more offline, because I, I think it sounds like we have please. some work to do in Maryland. <laughs> let's let's um, do.
2: Please, let's do. Let's do
3: it.
6: Yeah. I'm, yes. I'm originally from
3: I'm originally from Baltimore, Eve. So... I was born Maryland there. Maryland born in my there. heart.
6: Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Nice. Maryland is
3: in, yep. is in my heart.
6: Love it. Thank you. So I... My, my What I want, if nothing else, from today, I want white people to understand that it is time to speak up far past time, but now now is as good a time as any, and it 's not too late. People of mm-hmm. color have been fighting, people of color have been fighting for their own freedom and equality for far too long, and it 's just time for us to be taking up that mantle because we're the ones that have benefited from this system. We have to amplify the message that is no longer acceptable. And I want to kind of put something in your head. And when I say you, the people I'm talking to are the people that know They know that there's so much wrong with what's going on in our society today, but they haven't said anything because of that discomfort, because they're afraid that their family is going to push back, because they're afraid of those really uncomfortable, awkward conversations on Facebook where you wonder if you should just unfriend people and just stop talking about it, or they're worried their spouse is going to fight with them. Now is the time where that stuff has to matter less than your fellow humans who are every day killed and beaten simply because they're people of color. And if somebody, if there were more white people that had spoken up when Emmett Till's accuser lied, if more people had spoken up at the time, because it was obvious the charges were ridiculous, and oh, by the way, Mm -hmm. even if they were real charges, violence is never the answer. And if more white people had spoken up at the time and said something, maybe Emmett Till would still be here and what we Mm -hmm. have to realize is that now is the time to take the right action so you don't regret it later because you know that there were people who regretted not saying anything not doing anything there were white mobs that showed up with hatred and fear and anger in their hearts and now is the time to show up as a love mob we have to have love in our hearts and support in our hearts and we are a nonviolent, peaceful loving movement but we are strong and we are many and we can do this please come out of the shadows
0: please join us you are not alone Mm-hmm. Indeed. Thank you so wow. much for being here, Eve. Amen to that. I would like to hear from you again on this thank program. You. Let's make a date yes, for sir. after you talk to the Attorney General. I want to hear the news yes, after sir. that. Because uh, you guys, got, like, like you said, you got some work ahead of you, and I want to hear all of that. Yeah, about yes. it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, we'll do uh, Thank we'll, you all so much. We'll, we're going to be following March On Foundation and March On to see the growth as it occurs. And thank you for everything, Eve. Peace and God bless go you. you.
6: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Peace,
6: peace,
0: have a good night, right. y'all. good night, right. Senator Hollins. We got you all alone now. <laughs> yeah, and we want you, <laughs> oh, well, Representative Hollins. We, we we want you to hang on if you can uh, yes. through our music yeah. break and enjoy the music with us. It's just going to be a, a short uh, clip, and when we come back on the other side, we've got a few more questions, and we want to give you the floor okay. to say what you want, anything you want after that. So uh, we're going to okay. go ahead and. To our music And today uh, We have Yolanda Renee King The daughter of Martin Luther uh, King Jr. Or the third And granddaughter of Martin Luther King Jr. uh, And Coretta Coretta Scott King She was doing a speech Day before yesterday At the March on Washington And that's going to be followed by Ooh Child from the Five Stair Steps Please stay on with us here At Abolition Today We'll be right back after this music Abolition Abolition Less
8: than a year before he was assassinated My grandfather predicted This very moment He said that we were moving Into a new phase of the struggle The first phase was the civil rights And the new phase is Genuine equality Genuine equality is why we are here today, and why people are coming together all across the world, from New Zealand to New Jersey. He said that we must not forget the days of, the, of Montgomery, we must not forget the sit ins movement, we must not forget the Freedom Rides, the Birmingham movement, and Selma. Papa King, we won. from me to we. We are going to be the generation that dismantles systemic racism once and for all, now and forever. We are going to be the generation that calls a halt to police brutality and gun violence once and for all, now and forever. And we are going to be the generation
0: just heard an opening clip featuring Yolanda Renee King, granddaughter of Martin Luther and Coretta Scott, speaking at the 47th anniversary march on Washington, August 28th, and that was followed by U Child, and rest in peace to Clarence Burke Sr., who passed away August 29, 2020. He was the Chicago police detective who left the force to manage his very talented children who became internationally revered soul group, The Five Stairsteps. Steps. Man that took me back And it was a, a beautiful combination I think What did you think of Representative Holland Oh that took me back to my childhood That song number yeah. one But it was beautiful But that young
4: sister got a future on her She's powerful She is very yes. powerful
0: Yes uh, I thought it was fitting for today's program Because really th- That's what we're talking about We got hope now Where there was really very little we got hope, hope we got hope now. We didn't have that kind of hope before. There's an organization that has been built. I just heard from a friend today who, I, well, if they're a friend now, they were conversing with another friend of mine saying, I don't know of any abolitionist movement. We need an abolitionist movement. And she tagged me on it. Mm-hmm. And I had the pleasure to go tell her, here we are. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you felt that yes. same thing now too, haven't you?
4: Absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, as I've been was pushing my legislation forward after it passed, and now I've been advertising everything. One of the things that someone said to me, well, what good does this do if we're not going to take it out of the um, the United States Constitution? And I told him, I'm glad you said that because let me tell you what we are doing. <laughs> that is <good laughs> done. So I am I am truly excited about it.
0: I have one hard question I want to ask you, and you may not have thought about it much. I don't know. Uh, But it was asked to me. uh, Representatives out of the Free Alabama Movement contacted me recently from inside Alabama prison, and they've been deeply involved in the abolitionist movement for years now, including organizing Mm -hmm. national prison slave labor work strikes. And he said, Max, I love what you guys are doing. We're behind you 100 percent, but I got one question. How is this going to help us? as mm-hmm. people who are already incarcerated. So is there anything that mm-hmm. you have thought about regards to that? How will it help them? You know,
4: I think this starts the conversation. Before we can move forward, we've got to educate people. We've got to have that, as we said earlier, have that difficult conversation. Um, and I think that all of this is the beginning of that conversation um, to look at ways that we can change the prison system. And we are able to make sure that when individuals go into the prison system, that it is not a form of slavery. It's a form of rehabilitation that the people, individuals in that system come out better than what they went into the system, that they are being educated um, and that they are being transformed um, in that system. So, um, for me, it, it's the start of the conversation. I believe in the state of Utah, um, we would have to look at changing statutes, that uh, changing the Constitution do not automatically change anything. We would have to go through and look at the statutes and start looking at um, how do we change that um, um, in order to change the entire prison system and labor in the prison system. Thank you. Uh,
0: Youssef. anything mm-hmm. to add to that?
4: Sure. One thing that I
0: would
3: mention is, uh, you know, once you repeal and replace the 13th Amendment, specifically the exception clause, now that opens the door to those within the prisons being able to bring lawsuits. Because most of the times when they bring lawsuits now, since prisons are considered like a, Uh, Entity within itself A sovereign entity There are very few lawsuits that can be brought But And when they do bring them The courts just automatically Dismiss them because of the Exception clause because They know that because it Makes it legally The
1: state's right
3: To put people under Slave conditions then there's no Reprieve Removing the exception Mm -hmm. clause opens the door to where now you can say you have an Eighth Amendment violation of cruel and unusual punishment for putting someone in solitary confinement for 5, 10, 15 years, 20 years, 50 years for just having a Facebook post or some of the other conditions, you know, where the the women are not even provided with basic sanitary needs. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that's going to be a result of the exception clause being removed it opens the door for them having their legal rights protected within the prisons max
0: um, yes absolutely that was kind of what i told them because in alabama they were instrumental in proving that the eighth amendment is systemically violated in alabama prisons and that constitutes slave-like conditions And when you have Mm slave-like conditions, you can challenge that in court, whether it be local, state, or federal courts. And without the protection of the exception clause, they can no longer say it's okay. Because of that exception clause, we lose our rights as citizens, we lose our rights as people, as human beings, and we're left to uh, the dictates of what the prisons want to do. I mean, they can even... Add time to your sentence without a trial, which they did here in South Carolina.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We had three or- organizers here in South Carolina behind bars who helped organize this strike here in South Carolina, and they used a contraband telephone to do that. And for every post that they made, they received a year's time in prison. One man received 45 years, another one received 30-some years, mm. and a third received 20-some odd years. That's indiscriminate uh, sentencing with no jury for Facebook posts or social media posts. It's just crazy. Mm. And they can do that because you don't have the rights of a citizen any longer. There's no protection for you other than what is allowed through the prison industry. Would you like to comment on that further, Sandra?
4: Yeah, I – um. I, I agree. I agree. You know, um, I have, especially since my last legislation and, and all I do, um, received, um, e- uh, not emails, but received letters from um, a lot of individuals here in the state of Utah who are in prison who um, tell me their stories and tell me about how they got there and what it's, and what their conditions are and what is occurring um, in, in prison and in the hope that something will change um, About a week ago, I got invited um, to this discussion. There's this book um, by um, an educator here who worked in the prison system, and it's called All of My Friends Are Felons. And so he held a discussion around his book, and as a part of that, um, some people who've been formerly incarcerated was there, and they were talking about some of the change and some of the policy changes that they were like to have, and I'm happy that they said that they wanted to include me in that conversation about some of the things they need to change. And some of it is as simple as um, this young man that was in discussion said when he left, he didn't, he couldn't even get an, he can't even get an ID. He cannot get an I.D. because you need your birth certificate to get an I.D., and you need your I.D. to get your birth certificate, and you need both, you know, that to get your Social Security card in order to work. And so just something as simple as how do we make sure that people are being rehabilitated in prison, but also once they get out, how are we going to support them and make sure that they're successful and make sure that they're not going back into the system because they didn't have the safety nets in place to be able to lift them up and make sure that they are successful.
0: Yes, yes. You're hitting the nail on the head right there because even after you serve your time, the 13th Amendment says that uh, slavery is allowed if you've been convicted of a crime. But it does not Mm -hmm. say you ever get your status as a citizen back. It doesn't say that at all. Mm -hmm. So when you leave, Mm -hmm. you no longer have any rights to vote. You can't get student Mm -hmm. loans. You can't get aid for housing and Mm -hmm. food. There's nothing that you can really Mm -hmm. get that any other citizen can get, and you're subject to stigmas that prevent you from getting employment. And because of that, Mm -hmm. we have in federal and state prisons – a fifty and seventy five percent recidivism rate. And when you hear numbers like yeah. that, you're like, what? Fifty and seventy five? But when you think of it in the terms of a profitability, those are reusable resources. Those people are mm-hmm. reusable resources that come right back to generate more income for prison profiteers. Mm-hmm. Sandra? Yeah. Yes, yes. It it is, it
4: is um, we have to look at the recidivism rate And why individuals are going back Into the system um, But we also need to look at How do we determine Who gets parole Probation and parole And who gets out That needs to be a full part Of, of the conversation also And making sure that that whole system uh, Is fair and, and look at the systematic racism That's involved in, in all of that mm-hmm.
2: um, So
4: it's it's a It's, a, it's It's like a big ball of tangled yarn And you have to just start pulling (laughs) To untangle (laughs) it And and to start making those changes
0: (laughs) A couple of programs ago We titled the program The Wicked Webs Because that's what it's like It's like a huge web that you get caught In all areas of it Going in and coming Mm -hmm. out from cradle to grave And no one in this country Is safe You know, Although we are as African Americans Or people of the diaspora Subject to it at a very very high rate, much larger than anybody else, it still happens to anybody. There's over a million white people in these prisons, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So nobody's immune, and it can happen for any reason. Go ahead, Sandra. But you know what? Let me say this
4: also. Um, I used to work as a social worker. I used to work at this one school, um, working with our um, refugee population and kids. And one time, one of the school teachers had to step out of her class For about an hour or two. And so the principal asked me if I might kind of step it in while she took care of her emergency and then come back, you know, she could come back to class. And I was like, fine. Well, while I was there, this one young little kid, a little brown kid, was just misbehaving in class. And of course, me being a social worker, I know that behind that misbehavior is trauma. You know, this kid, that's something, this kid is going through something. And so I went and kneeled down to him and I said, I'm really going to need you to start listening in class and to stay in your seat while we're doing this project that we're working on. This little boy looked at me and he said, it do not matter. My mama said, I'm going to end up in prison just like my daddy. Oh, my God. Oh. It broke my heart. And I spent, spent the next couple of minutes talking to him, trying to change his narrative that he has about self, himself. Himself. And so I said all that to say this, we have got to speak life into our children. We've got to speak life into our children. I've had a number of young people who have come to me and whose parents are an adult in their life have said this to them and have given them this narrative and have told them, you can't go to college, you will never be anything, you're going to end up in prison just like your parents, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. If I would rather the parents just be quiet than to speak death into their child's life. We've got to speak life. We've got to give them hope. We've got to give them possibility. We've got to tell them everything that they're going to be. Um, There was this one little girl I was talking to the other day about four years old, and her mom has been in and out of prison. And I told her, I said, do you realize how special you are and that God has something so great for you that you're going to have to stay in school And finish school in order to find out What that greatness is And she was like yeah okay (laughs) You know and she was very open And very receptive to it But we've got to speak life into these kids
0: You know it's not just the parents That are speaking that language Almost everywhere they turn They hear the statistics One in three young black men Are expected to spend time in prison If that don't give you Mm -hmm. hopelessness, What will So we're raising them up In a hopeless environment And it's up to us And Mm -hmm. I literally mean you and me and Yusuf and Eve Mm -hmm. And all the people working in this organization To make that change Because others don't seem Mm -hmm. to want To change it at the core They want to fight the symptoms And not the issue itself So we're fighting the issue itself And the way to get rid of that web Is to unravel it from the middle (laughs) Unravel
4: it from the middle Yes, and we have to combat what society is telling our kids they are. You know, me being a state legislator, for a lot of my colleagues, I am the first and only black woman they may know or may have met. You know, a lot of times I walk into a room and I am the only black woman in the entire room, you know. And so I am fighting a lot of perceptions that people have about me and about my culture. You know, but I know that I'm not what the media or what my environment that I grew up in, because I didn't grow up in the best environment. I grew up in poverty. I grew up in a neighborhood where there was crime. I grew up with statistically, I, should not, I should, not have, should not be where I am today. You know, I shouldn't be here. And so I've had to fight all of that to get to where I am. And, and I, I've had to learn, I'm not my environment. I am not, I'm not what people tell me I am. You know, those people who say, you know, statistic-wise, you should be this. No, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. But now I've been fortunate that I've had people in my life, you know, growing up who have said, you know, especially my father who said, you will do this. You're going to go to school and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. This is who you are. You represent our family and our family is a strong family who succeed in life.
0: Amen to that, uh, overcome the mm-hmm. odds uh, You have to but overcome they, the are,
7: odds.
0: they are still there I'm a father of two sons Who were incarcerated for a total of twenty of 34 years I have only three mm-hmm. sons And two of them ended up in prison So for the odds for my family was Not only there, but in excess Of that
5: And that's mm-hmm. something
0: mm-hmm. terrible to think about as a parent That no matter what mm-hmm. you may do This could be the outcome mm-hmm. So, we definitely need the hope of the Abolished Slavery National Network and leaders Absolutely. like you, Representative Sandra Hollins. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. we're coming up on the end of this segment of our discussions, and I want to give you the opportunity to say anything you want to say to our listening audience who are here live tonight and as well as in our archives over the future. And then uh, maybe a closing statement to give us even more hope, because we can't get enough of that. <laughs> Yes, yes,
4: yes. You know what, I want to, first of all, I wanted um, to say thank you to a lot of those individuals who've been out there on the front line to make a change. In um, particularly, I know in the state of Utah, we've had a lot of people who have been pushing prison reform through, um, police reform through, and I think all of that is a part of this conversation as we talk about Um, Abolishing slavery out of our Constitution. Um, I have said that if we want to have conversation about that, that's good. We need to have conversation, but we also need to have a conversation about our history and learn our history and understand our history and understand how we got to where we are right now. so I just want to encourage everybody, let's just continue to have that conversation. Let's continue to teach our kids about who we are because we, we come from greatness. We are great and we come from greatness and and, and, and we're going to do great things in, in life. Um, so please just keep hope alive. I know right now people, you know, uh, people, particularly black people are emotionally drained. We are emotionally drained. Um, with everything that is going on, you know, when I have conversation with my friends and my black friends and I say, how are you doing today? And they say, fine. And I look at them and say, really? And they go, no, not really. And I say, well, I know you're not. <laughs> so let's, be, let's have these honest conversations. You're, I'm emotionally drained and I know you all are emotionally drained. So let's practice some self-care, but let's remember the, that this battle is not going to be won overnight, and we gotta stay on that front line. We have gotta stay fighting. We gotta stay pushing, pushing for for change. But and I appreciate you, and I appreciate everything that individuals are out there doing and supporting and uplifting those individuals who are, who are at, who are putting themselves out there um, to make those changes.
0: Representative Sandra Hollins, I would i I'd like to consider you a friend. I think that we have made yes. connection over these past <laughs> couple of months. And I want to stay in contact with you. And I know we will through the association, the uh, Abolish Slavery National Network. But beyond that, uh, I am at your disposal. Anything that I can do in consulting or helping with this, uh, I'm here for you. I want to give you a couple quotes about you. Okay. The first one is Mm -hmm. from the Salt Lake Tribune. They said that you are the conscience of the legislator. And the shirt you wore on that day when they took the picture said, I don't quit when I'm tired. I quit when I'm done. (laughs) That is you all the way right there. (laughs) So, yes, I'm proud to know you. Thank you for participating in tonight's broadcast of abolition today. And we look forward to having you come back again and let us know how this vote turns out when it finally reaches the Uh, ballot.
4: I will. And if you all are ever in Utah, please look me up.
0: <laughs> we might just yeah, take you up all, just for that them. reason. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah.
0: All right. Well, all you know. All can, you all
2: take oh, yeah, care.
0: We we really can't hear you there. You you sound so far away, brother. But uh, do I sound yes. closer right now? No, you don't. Oh, but, I was saying. Uh, there you go. That's you right there. Okay Okay. Yeah, she
3: doesn't know we're road hogs, and we'll jump in a car and go a two
0: thousand
3: miles, three thousand miles in a heartbeat.
0: <laughs> well, well you yes, we will. Welcome here. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, <laughs> our next, uh, what we're going to do next is we're going to open up the phone lines in case anybody wants to make a call. We can take maybe one call. So if you're on the line listening, uh, please press number one on your. Uh, Keypads. So we know you want to ask a question. Uh, If if not, uh, we'll be going into our final segment, which is our bridging the gap segment. And I'm proud to say that my wife is a part of that tonight. (laughs) You know, every week we do, we we bring history together with the present in bridging the gap. We reclaim the words of our ancestors, and we have guests who recite speeches from black abolitionists that have never been heard since the day they were spoken by that person. And uh, it's an honor to honor our ancestors in such a way. And then we match it with music from today's artists. So I hope that you hang around and listen to that uh, before you're finished with uh, us for the day. And I know you were supposed to go to church today and you uh, gave that up just to be with us. So we're very appreciative Uh, Representative Holland. All right. Well, uh, as I said, the phone number is six eight. The phone number is five one five six zero five nine eight one five. If you're on the line and you want to answer, uh, ask a question or make a comment, uh, this is your time. I see we've got an eight zero three number with the hand up, so let's go to eight zero three two three eight. You are on Abolition today. What's your name? Question or comment?
7: Hey, Max and Yusuf, this is Jeanette. um, hey I just wanted to hey call and say what a wonderful show and how just so impressed and uh, what these women gave me. I had talked to you earlier, Max, and said I was depressed, but I was happy to hear that these women were coming on, and they gave me so much inspiration And I am an abolitionist. I don't do much because I have health issues and financial issues, and I don't do anywhere near what they do, but they give me inspiration. And if I get better, I'm hoping to be more like them, and I want to thank them, and thank you and you, Seth, and just let you guys know this is a wonderful show, and you guys are doing wonderful work. And I'm behind you. And um, thank you.
0: Amen to that. Thank you, Jeanette. Always being supportive uh, in the movement. Um, okay. It's, it has been but, a powerful broadcast. But, Go ahead. It has. Waiting to hear tribal. <laughs>
7: yes. Uh, <laughs> <you> too. Tribal <laughs> yeah, ring And the and music was yeah. great. I was really awesome. hoping for Ulu's Trial. So um, great show. And waiting for tribal.
0: Awesome, awesome. We'll we'll talk right. to you uh later. Thank you for calling in, Jeanette. Have a blessed day.
7: Okay. You guys too.
0: All right, man. It has been a powerful, powerful broadcast tonight. But I think tonight you said I'll probably do the outro because you've been having some audio difficulties. Uh we'll work on that during okay. the week and set up a test program where we can get you straightened. Now I know that you got a new microphone. Uh, so these are errors right. coming from that So we apologize for that but you know We're, we're going to be alright we're going to get it together Just like we're going to get this issue together I want you to know that if you right. want to be a a member or a supporter of the abolish slavery national network you can go to abolish that's abolishslavery.us, and sign up there right on the website you can look at the news reports you can look at the wonderful video that was released on august 28th to help you understand more about what we're doing and why and also if you represent a group or an organization Go to our Contact Us page where you can fill out more there. You can tell us about your group and your organization because we're starting to bring this all together. Just over the past two days, we've had as many as six states get on board, including major organizations and prisoners behind bars right now who are organizing on our behalf. So we are so grateful and happy that this moment has come along And that these people are here now This is our time It's our moment in history To make real change Not just say we want change But we're showing you specifically What change it is that we want We want an end to slavery It's about time Alright so uh, you should Say a few things Let me see if I can hear you brother Because I want to hear a summation from you
3: yeah, I want to hear. <laughs> I want to be heard, too. I you know, he's like, he's oh, he's he's me so. for what me yeah, for what you just said. I mean, there's nothing I could follow up with that. I mean, that's the perfect summation right there. I'm just <laughs> glad that we were able to have this broadcast tonight. Our guests were just out of this world. They were so amazing, as all of our previous guests have been. But it was just something really special about having both of them here tonight you know i just i don't know maybe it's i don't know what it is you know maybe it's because of it the is. launch that we just yeah, the launch mm-hmm. we just had and you know i just don't know max but i'm just glad we were able to do it that we have a platform available for them to come and you know for their voices to be heard and it was just great max that's my summation of it
0: <laughs> all right brother uh yes we have entered into a new era the era where we will abol- abolish slavery in this generation we would take out these exception clauses that allow slavery to continue and then from there we will work on actually freeing the people who are unjustly incarcerated or over incarcerated because of racially biased laws and policies all across America that have created systemic racism up until this date. We're on it, and we're going to get it done with your help. I want to say thank you to a couple of our sponsors tonight. That would be Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, I Am We Advocacy Network, Same Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffee Abolitionist Center, and, of course, Prismatic Dreams. We're going to get into our uh, part of the program just prior to our final segment where we give you a couple of quotes from ourselves in order for you to think about and maybe inspire you until the next time we meet here on abolition today. So Yusuf, you want to start us out?
3: Sure. Uh, my quote comes from our brother, Chadwick Boseman, who is just re who was just, uh, passed on. Most people know him as playing black Panther, uh, you know, it's a unique quote that he left. He left many great quotes, but this was just one that I read earlier and I really liked. And I said, you know what, I'll honor him by dedicating a segment of leaving my final quote as a quote of his. So this is, I don't know what your future is, but if you're willing to take the harder way, the more complicated one, the one with more failures at first and successes, the one that's ultimately proven to have more victory, more glory, then you will not regret it. This is your time. And that's from Chadwick Boseman.
0: Rest in peace, Chadwick. No doubt, man. He had such a wonderful, powerful career. All right. Well, my quote is very simple. It is our program slogan. And it says, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never again say that you did not know. And we make sure that you always know right here on abolition today. That was from William Wilberforce. Now go out and act like you know. All right, we're coming to the end of our program. This is our bridging the gap segment. Uh, Yusuf, when I'm finished with it, if you don't mind, just starting the play button after I do the uh, the, the finale here for us. I'd appreciate it. Sure, right. no problem. So, tonight is my lovely wife, uh, spoken word artist Tribal Rain, reading a plea. For the oppressed part one by abolitionist Lucy Stanton that will be followed by Ruthie Foster's Woke Up This Morning. We'll be back September 6th with a focus on the human trafficking aspect of modern legalized slavery. Until then, Remember to join the movement at AbolishSlavery.us and subscribe to our Abolition Today YouTube page for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program right here. Until next week, this has been Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan, along with our guests, Eve Kershwitz, and uh, Representative Sandra Hollins. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about Abolition Today. Peace. Abolition, Abolition, Abolition. This is
9: Tribal Rain, reading A Plea for the Oppressed by Lucy Stanton. When I forget you, O my people, may my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth, and may my right hand forget her cunning. Dark over the clouds, the anti-slavery pulse beats faintly, the right hand of suffrage is denied. The colored man is still crushed by the weight of oppression. He may possess talents to the highest order, yet for him is no path of fame or distinction opened. He can never hope to attain these privileges while his brethren remain enslaved. Since therefore the freedom of the slave and the gaining of our rights, social and political are inseparably connected let all friends of humanity plead for those who may not plead for their own cause. Reformers, ye who have labored long to convince man that happiness is found alone in doing good to others, that humanity is a unit, that he who injures one individual wrongs the race, that to love one's neighbor as oneself is the sum of human virtue. Ye that advocate the great principles of temperance, peace, and moral reform, will you not raise your voice on behalf of these stricken ones? Will you not plead the cause of the slave? Those who rob their fellow men of home, of liberty, of education, of life, are really at war against them, as though they cleft them down upon the bloody field. It is intemperance, for there is an intoxication when the fierce passions rage in a man's breast, more fearful than the madness of the drunkard, which if let loose upon the moral universe, would sweep away everything pure and holy, leaving but the wreck of a man's noble nature. Such passion does slavery fostered. Yea, they are a part of her self pollution, knowing you not that to a slave virtue is a sin counted worthy upon death, that many, true to the light within, notwithstanding the attempts to shut out the truth, feeling that a consciousness of purity is dearer than life, have nobly died, their blood crieth to God, a witness against the oppressor. Statesmen, you who have bent an ambition's shrine, who would leave your names on the page of history to be venerated by coming generations as amongst those of great and good. Will you advocate the cause of the downtrodden, remembering that the spirit of liberty is abroad in the land? The precious seed is sown in the heart of the people, and though the fruit does not appear, the germ is there and the harvest will yet be gathered. Truly is this an age of reform. The world is going on, not indeed keeping pace with the rapid tread of its leaders, but nonetheless progressing. As the people take a step in one reform, the way is prepared for another. Now, whilst the evils in man's social and political condition are being remedied, Think you that slavery can stand the searching test an enlightened people's sense of justice? Then speak the truth boldly. Fear not loss of property or station. It is a higher honor to embalm your name in the hearts of a grateful people than to contend for the paltry honors of party preferment. Woman, I turn to thee. Is it not thy mission to visit the poor? to shed the tear of sympathy, to relieve the wants of suffering? Where wilt thou find objects more needing sympathy than amongst the slaves? Mother, hast thou a precious gem in thy charge like those that make up the Savior's jewels? Has thy heart, trembling with its unutterable joyousness, Bent before the throne of the giver with a prayer that thy child might be found in his courts Thou hast seen the dawning of intelligence in its bright eye, and watch with interest the unfolding of its powers. Its gentle, winning ways have doubling endeared it to thee.
2: Oh, I woke up this morning with my mind saying,
5: freedom
2: Oh, I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on freedom I woke up this morning Let me tell you that I'm walking...